And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. We are so glad you could join us. Please turn to your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Joel chapter 1. In verses 14 and 15, we will see more about what we refer to as three-dimensional repentance. Plus, we'll learn a little bit more about biblical fasting. And now, with this message for today, is our pastor, Robert Elliott. So the three-dimensional repentance as remedy from God was first to set themselves apart or to consecrate themselves to fast as a nation. I'll expand that in a minute. Second, they were to solemnly assemble themselves to cry out to the Lord in prayer to confess personal and national sins. And third, they were humbly and realistically to face the fact that something called the Day of the Lord which we can define, by the way, as a special time of God's outpoured wrath on some and his exoneration of others. That's the day of the Lord. It's not just one event. It is an extended period of time. The day of the Lord is a special period of time of God's outpoured wrath on some and his exoneration of others. And they were to humbly and realistically face the fact that this thing called the day of the Lord was coming very soon upon them in full force. Verse 15. Alas, for the day. What day? It tells us. For the day of the Lord is near. And it will come as destruction from the Almighty. So God in his mercy and goodness and grace told these people who were in national and personal sin, who were in the midst of a terrible drought and a terrible locust infestation, he told them how to repent. He told them three things to do. They were to set themselves apart to fast as a nation. They were to assemble to cry out to the Lord in confessional prayer. And they were to humbly and realistically face the fact that the day of the Lord was coming full force upon them soon. It must have been utterly terrifying. When those people first heard God's prophet named Joel say, and then when they read what God had him write in inspired writing, when they saw to the effect that the drought and the locust infestation weren't even the full extent of his intended judgment. They must have been terrified. I mean, how worse could it get? They had nothing to eat, no money to transact with, no, no raw materials for Jewish worship, couldn't provide the drink offering and the grain offering that was daily norm for the priest of a nation? How much worse could it get? Well, it could get a lot worse. And God, through his prophet, was saying, repent, because the day of the Lord is coming soon, and what you've seen already isn't even the full extent of the day of the Lord. Verse 15 again. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and it will come as destruction from the Almighty. If you scan ahead to verse 19, please. To you, O Lord, I cry, for fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and the flame has burned up all the trees of the field. 
Apparently, back then, not only was there unprecedented drought and unprecedented locust damage, but back then there were also fires raging in the pastures and in the fields. And all of the trees were charred. I mean, think about it. All of those natural disasters were just introductions to worse judgments. They were preludes to the full day of the Lord. They were lead-ins to what would be a whole lot worse if they didn't repent. If and when you understood that, would you not hurry to fast? And when you understood that, would you not hurry to prayerfully confess sin? And when you understood that, would you not hurry to be realistic that much worse times were just ahead if the status quo of sinning was maintained? Would you not hurry? Honestly, would we? Are we very sure that we would hurry to fast and that we would hurry to confess sin and that we would hurry to be humbly realistic if we were them? back then? Let me ask this. What would we do with the contemporary warnings of God? What do we do with the contemporary warnings of God on America, the contemporary warnings of God on the church? Let's talk about biblical fasting. That was the first aspect of repentance prescribed for Judah. Biblical fasting simply is the intentional missing of a meal or meals, and then using the time which you would have spent preparing and eating and cleaning up those meals to pray. That's all a biblical fasting is. Intentionally missing a meal or meals and using the time which you would have spent preparing and eating and cleaning up to pray. Biblically, fasting was denying oneself food. I've also heard of believers today who fast in other ways. Believers who fast from other things, from watching sports or from using the computer or from shopping or fast from reading the newspaper and the time that they would have devoted to watching sports or to using a computer or the time they would have given to shopping or to reading a newspaper or magazine is intentionally given over to God in prayer. And I think those secondary applications of the basic biblical mode of fasting of food seem creative and appropriate to me. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And so a question I have for you is, have you ever fasted? Do you know the benefits of fasting and giving extra time to prayer to your normal schedule? And if you have fasted or if you have never fasted, would now be a good time to start fasting? I'll leave that with you and the Lord. Well, ancient Judah was in serious trouble. There was drought and locusts and fires and destruction and no food and no more gladness and no more joy and no germinated seeds and empty barns and dilapidated barns and starving livestock and burned off pastures and no shade and all the trees reduced to tinder and dried up brooks and dehydrated animals. They were in a world of hurt. Could it possibly get any worse, they probably asked. And the answer is basically, yes, it could. And yes, it would if they refused to repent as individuals and as a nation. Please look again at verse 15. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and it will come as destruction from the Almighty. That must have been staggering to process for flattened and hungry and devastated Judah. Namely, it must have been staggering to process that the name, that rather the day of the Lord was only just near. That's what the prophet of God said. The day is 
near. This meant that the full blast of God's intended wrath hadn't yet come to them. This meant that potentially there was much, much more wrath on the way. And that's what God had his prophet write in mercy to warn these people. It's sort of like the outer rains and the winds which are on a hurricane, the outer rains and winds that are away from the eye of the hurricane. They're bad enough, but the eye of the hurricane and the the wind and rain around that eye at the center are vicious. If you give your attention, please, to verse 14, you'll see that even in the apparent hopelessness of the drought and the locust devastation and the fires, even and especially in the midst of those things, God and his prophet held out hope for restoration. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas. Today we want to continue talking about Jesus and your image. And I think many times in our lives when we consider ourselves, we try to put an image that we don't want people to see that we're broken. But the reality is, is that there are people around us that are broken every day. People who are going through different trials and tribulations. People who have problems that they would rather no one see. You see, it's just like this as we consider teenagers who are in different situations where they feel that they don't want people to know. But as we look at the Word of God, we see that there was also a person, a blind man, who was on the side of the road who did not care because he understood he was broken and he needed help. And this morning as we start and as we think about that, I want you to, first of all, think of your life as a young person. I want you to think of those things that you carry around, the baggage, the brokenness, the, the hurt. You see, there are many of us who have been hurt by friends, by family members, by whatever it is we're going through. And a topic that we don't like to talk about in our country today is we don't like to talk about is abuse. But we know that there's a lot of abuse in such as physical abuse, mental abuse, emotional abuse, and the list can go on. But today we want to talk about what does it mean to be broken and how are many people broken and what are they doing with this brokenness? You see, when we consider our image, we need to understand that we need to be real with ourselves and with those around us. In Luke chapter 18, verse 35, it says, As he drew near to Jericho, talking about Jesus, a blind man was sitting by the roadside. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. First of all, I wanted to stop there because I wanted to understand that Jesus is drawing near. Uh, Many people, some people would think to themselves, well, I don't want to be seen this way. You know, here it is. the, The man is just allowing himself to, you know, he's hearing the crowd because as we see, he's blind. He cannot see. So it would have been easy for him to just sit there and be quiet and let the people pass by so that he would not notice. But what did he do? He inquired. He asked a question. He said, you know, what is going on? And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And verse 30 said, and he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. You see, when we consider that, even the crowd saw this guy and thought to himself, you just need to be quiet. You need not to say anything right now. This is not your time. Don't, you know, keep your mouth shut because this is Jesus. And he doesn't have time for a a blind person like you. That's basically what they're saying. But you see that he did not care. The blind man did not care because he understood that Jesus is someone who could help him. 
And you see the reality that we consider today and we consider whatever it is you're broken in, whatever abuse or whatever trials you're going in, you need to find someone that you can talk to about this. We need to find someone, and a person you could go to is Jesus Christ. You can go to God and talk to him about it. But the reality is that sometimes we need to find people to talk to. You see, brokenness, as we, and we consider in our image, if we, don't, if we allow ourselves to continue to be broken and we don't get help, it's just going to go more and more and more into a, a bigger problem. And here it is. Again, this, this blind man, he understands, look, I need Jesus. I need Christ in my life. I need him to help me. Verse 40 says, Then Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. You see, Jesus cared. And, and we need to recognize that Jesus cares about us. Even the Bible tells us to cast your burdens onto him, for he cares for you. You see, we need to recognize that there's no problem that's too small. There's no problem that's too big for us to go to Jesus himself. And we need to recognize that as this man, as he recognized that, you know what, I can do nothing to change this. I can just sit here and be quiet so no one notices me. And that's what really, in that crowd, that's what happened. But we need to understand that, that Christ wants to help us. He wants to be there for us. You see, Jesus calls each of us, as we looked at the last time, he calls us to deny ourselves. And he, he wants us to understand that our image is to be driven more by who God is and less by who we are. You see, this man could have thought, well, here it is. I'm a blind man. I don't, what can I offer God? I'm just blind. But the man recognized and he denied himself. He said, you know what? My image, you know, just because of what's going on and what, what ailments I have doesn't mean that I cannot talk to Jesus Christ. You see, we need to take a step back and evaluate the image we present to the world and whether it's focused more on us or on Christ. You see, this man could have easily looked at himself and thought, well, why am I going through this? This is God's fault that I'm this way. But he understood that he needed help. And as we see in verse 41, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. You see, we need to recognize that the, the reason that this guy was healed was because of his faith. He recognized that because of his faith, that this is what healed him. And he, he didn't just come to Jesus with just to ask a question, but he recognized that Jesus could truly recover his sight. I want to ask you, what are you struggling with? What is it that you cannot see? You see, we are so short-sighted people that we don't see the big picture of things. We sometimes only see what's in the front of us. We only see what we're going through at that time. We don't see the big picture of what God's plans are for our lives. But you see, this blind man, he recognized two things. He recognized his own brokenness. And you know that Jesus was the only way for him to be made whole. You see, I think too many times in our lives, we, we again, we dwell on what we see in the front of us. We dwell on the problems that we are going through. But there's a God who is bigger than any problem that we could ever imagine. There's a God that when we're broken and we're hurt and whatever it is we're going through, He is there for us. So I want to challenge you this morning as you are listening to this broadcast. I want to ask you, what is it that you're broken in? Are you broken with physical ailments? Are you broken with abuse, emotional, mental? You see, we need to recognize that there's a God who is there for us, a God who wants to help us, a God who promises in His Word He'll never leave us or forsake us. And we have two different types of people there because we have those people that are listening who don't have a relationship with Christ and, you know, this is the first time you're coming to Christ. 
But we have those people who know Christ as their Lord and personal Savior, and yet they're going through this brokenness, and yet they're not trying to turn away from their brokenness, but they're dwelling on their brokenness. And they're allowing Satan to use this as a crutch for them. Why not turn away from it? Why not recognize that just as this man turned to Jesus, that you can turn to Jesus and give it to him? Again, like I said, you may need to find someone to talk to, to counsel, to talk to. And even here at our local church, you can, if you're a young person, you can come and talk to me at Calvary Bible Church. Or if you're an adult and you need some help, we also have a Christian counseling center that can help you through many different problems. But the reality is if we allow ourselves to continue to dwell in our brokenness, we're never going to get better. We're never going to, if we don't give it to Christ, we're never going to be different. You see, when we look at this man's response, we can learn this, that when Jesus brings us through the pain of our brokenness, that we are to remember his work in our lives and praise him. Praise him. Verse 43 says this, And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, they gave praise to God. You see, this is not something that when we're going through brokenness and we go through our problems, we get through our problems that we just sit quiet in the corner and just be quiet. No, we are to give praise to God. Because it is God who is working in and through us. It is God that is, you know, in our lives. And, and, and we have seen the miracles that God has worked in our lives over and over. Because for each one of us, as we consider our lives, we are all broken in one way because we are all broken by sin. We cannot fix this problem around. We cannot do this. You know, we, it's no way to fix it. But there's a remedy. And that remedy was Jesus Christ who came to this earth and he died for us so that we could have a relationship with him. I want to ask you this. What are you hurt with? Is it a relationship? Is it separation from God that you have no relationship with Him? Whatever it is, pray to God. Ask God to help you through this problem. And just let Him do a new work in your life. But be ready to give Him all the honor, all the praise, and all the glory. Because He deserves it all in our lives. And now, today's personal God story. Well, good morning, listeners. I'm pleased this morning to have in the radio studio my friend Paul Worrell. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Pastor Rob. Uh, and, it's a pleasure to be here. Well, thank you. It's good to have you. I know that everybody who loves and trusts Christ has a God story, and you're going to share some of your God story this morning. So where would you like to start? Probably at the beginning, um, because God works in our lives even before we know Him. Um, just a bit of history. I was born in Nassau. My parents are both Barbadians. They came to the Bahamas a long, long time ago. Uh, my father was a policeman. My mother was a seamstress. And I must say that my early years, um, I was always a good boy, a very good boy. And, to be, and quite often, the good boys are quite often the ones that don't see the need for Jesus Christ. That's true. Um, as a teenager, I think my parents would um, echo this. I didn't cause them any problems. I was really a, I was a model student, um, got great grades, um, didn't get many spankings. I went to church. Sorry. I was taken to church by my parents because yes. they accompanied me all the time. So I went to various churches. Um, I was even an altar boy in one of them, mm -hmm. um, but at that point, I was still not saved. Yes. 
Um, amazingly, and I look back at it, and I can say it can only be God. I came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior when I was in university in England. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd, le- I'd lived a very sheltered life prior to that. Really, I'd never been out of my parents' house after 9 o'clock, um, unaccompanied. Yes. Um, and all of a sudden, I have all of this freedom. You know, people are smoking, drinking, doing all sorts of things. Um, and I must say, I was tempted to get involved in some of those things. Mm-hmm. But um, by the grace of God, I never did. Wonderful. Um, I committed um, before I left the Bahamas that when I went to university, I would find a church. Wonderful. And I would go to church because I'd been accustomed to that. Um, interestingly enough, I didn't find one, but um, I became involved in a weekly Bible study, um, a group called Christian Union. Mm-hmm. And through Christian Union, um, the scriptures were open to me, and I was actually challenged to accept Christ at one of the meetings, and I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior there. Praise the Lord. And I've never looked back since. Um like many people, I've had times when I would say I backslid, mm-hmm. but I always knew that Jesus Christ was my Savior, and He was close there. Um, one of the greatest things that Jesus Christ did do is He provided me with a godly wife. Yes. And I cannot tell you the value of a godly wife. Yes, um, so much so. My wife, Denise, has challenged me, held me accountable, and has actually lived a life before me that has allowed me and encouraged me to grow in my walk with the Lord. Praise the Lord. And together we walk with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um. I have had many challenges and difficulties in life, but I've never felt apart from God. Mm-hmm. It's all, He's always been very real to me. Um, and my commitment is to see that as many people know the love of Jesus Christ um, as I do. Um, I'm committed to serving Him. And, I can vouch for that. And... I can tell you, he has never let me down. Mm -hmm. Um, He's been faithful to his promises. Um, In scripture, when he says he will never leave nor forsake, Mm -hmm. I can say he's never left nor forsaken me. Amen. I agree. Um, And I just have to praise him. And part of my praise is to serve him, not in secret, but in public. Yes. Thank you so much. That is certainly God-glorifying story. And as you know, he's written that story. Absolutely. And uh, he's continuing to write all of our stories. Thank you so much for sharing that this morning. And I'd just like to pray. Oh, please. Our gracious and loving and faithful God, how we thank you this morning for Brother Paul Worrell's story of your preventative uh, measures in his life to protect him from that which would have been harmful. Thank you, too, for you drawing him by your Holy Spirit to the Bible and to the Christ of the Bible as Lord and Savior there at university in England. We pray, Lord, that Paul's desire would 
be uh, brought to fruition in his life, that he would serve you well in a godly way, and that that would not be something he'd ever be ashamed of, but that he'd do that in a public scale. Lord, thank you for Paul and Denise and their two grown sons. Continue to bless them, Lord. And we would ask for those who may be listening this morning that are being drawn to the scriptures, but do not as yet know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that they would surrender their lives, even as Paul did many years ago, and trust Christ and only Christ to make them right with a holy God. Thank you for what you'll do, Lord, if we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Lania's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliot. Romans 5.12 raises the question, how is the human race related to Adam and to sin? Romans 5.12 declares that sin and death entered the world through one man, namely Adam. Paul concludes, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. There are two possible interpretations of Paul's statement. Many theologians believe that God contemplates all people as one with Adam and his sin. Since Adam represented the human race, God regards all people as sinners because of his acts. Others believe that the entire human race was seminally present in Adam. This perspective is based on the concept of the corporate solidarity of the human race in Adam. Compare Hebrews chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. According to this second view, when Adam sinned, the entire human race actually participated in the sin. People are not just designated sinners, they are sinners by virtue of their participation in Adam's act. Although debated, the second view best corresponds with Paul's words, all sinned. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a Savior.